super sexy custom-built cars, a platform unifying the automotive industry, and basically the closest thing I've ever seen to people living as if they were in the movie Need for Speed. Welcome to Episode 7 with the founders of Throttle, Evan and Rick Beckerman. You are listening to Len Jones Party of Two, where experts and influencers speak honestly and openly about their keys to success. Sponsored by TrueFace.ai, where your face is the key. For more information on TrueFace, please contact your host at ian at TrueFace.ai. Now, pay close attention, because you're going to learn today. You know, it's always a pleasant surprise when you see someone's videos online, and then you meet them in person, and they are exactly like they are in the videos. Rick and Evan, huge car guys, like on a level I thought only existed in movies. This is what you experience when you watch the Throttle YouTube channel. These two brothers got hooked into the car scene at a super young age, spending every dollar they could on new car parts and helping their friends with custom builds. Later in their life, they identified a problem in the car industry that needed to be solved, which ultimately led to Throttle. Throttle is a one-stop shop for car enthusiasts that offers awesome car content, DIYs, how-tos, new car parts, and so much more. In this podcast, Rick and Evan discuss things such as how they grew their YouTube channel from 0 to 200k subscribers in 18 months, a detailed overview on how they navigated product market fit, their daily methods of operations to produce amazing and consistent content, things they wish they knew before taking the plunge to start their own business, and all sorts of car-related topics. So to all the car enthusiasts listening, along with anyone that wants to turn their passion into a business, you are absolutely in for a treat. So without further ado, let's jump into it. So I'm sitting here right now in uh, what can be described as a car lover's paradise. The hunt quarters. I walk in and I go into this garage and there's about seven cars lifted all over. I feel like I'm in need for speed. <laughs> Tell me about the hunt quarters off the wazoo, this dream little paradise you guys have built for car enthusiasts. Okay, so this place is kind of the imagination of, um, I think, everyone. But originally, um, this started out as TJ Hunt's garage. It was a, in a different location, smaller shop where he... Um, basically would build his cars. Um, fast forward maybe like nine months into him owning the shop, uh, that's when we got introduced to him. And then our project started getting in the shop. And then everyone's project started getting in the shop. So it became a kind of a, a culmination of TJ Hunt, the throttle team. Um, the name was still the Hunt Quarters, um, and we've kind of kept that. And that, that's actually become a brand in itself. Um but now it's a place where basically everyone can come, everyone can work on their cars, everyone can film their cars. And now this shop here is where we sell car parts. Um, this is where all of Throttle Operations is. This is where all of TJ Hunt's businesses are. And it's really a place where you can be creative. Um, and now we have you know an abundance of tools, an abundance of lifts, and we we've created this like environment where, you know, even friends can come by and work on their cars and stuff like that. So it's kind of morphed into what it was. Um, originally it was just kind of like a very simple thing. And now it's like this pretty big operation as you can see here. Yeah. I would say that when we outgrew the new shop, it was really important for us to build, or when we outgrew the old shop, it was really important for us to build the new shop, how we wanted it to be and how we could really grow into it. Um, so, you know, we put as much emphasis on the shop space as we did on the office space. And that's because, you know, throttles continuing to grow. We're going to be hiring more people and we wanted to make sure that the office environment was great. And as soon as you open those double doors, you're in like car Mecca, you know, the shop space has to be incredible. Yeah. I mean, when you come in here, you just, your jaw drops. Uh, I, I'm super thank stoked. You, thank you. I guess yeah, we thanks. did a good job. Yeah. Guys are killing it. <laughs> yeah, um, give me a quick rundown. What is Throttle? Sure. So uh, do, you, do you want the history of Throttle? Or do you want me to start like where we're at I today? I want to start with where we're at today right now. Okay. So Throttle is the one-stop shop for car enthusiasts. Whether you're looking for awesome car content, DIYs, how-tos, new car parts for your, uh, for your custom project, or you're looking for used parts for your car, or even looking to sell your current project. Throttle houses all of that. 
So we're really trying to build this place that every car enthusiast goes on a daily basis. All right, so you guys have this YouTube channel booming. You guys have this beautiful spot. I wanna hear the, the OG origins of how you guys got to this place that you're at right now. So where'd you guys grow up? We grew up in Rochester, New York. And where'd you guys go to college? I went to University of Rochester. I studied mechanical engineering. Right. And I went to Syracuse University and studied the same, mechanical engineering. Curious, before you guys went to school and all that, were you always obsessed with cars? Absolutely. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I was turning 16 around the time when the first Fast and the Furious movie came out. Even before the movie, I was already into cars, but that movie just like just made it a staple part of me growing up. So... I'd say that, you know, I, I left the movie theater and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a Supra. I'm going to put a big turbo on it. I'm going to get nitrous. Like, I think I was I was not unique in that. I think a lot of people went and saw that movie and were just like, yeah, that's me. I'm going to do that. Um, but for us, like, you know, we really took it on and it became part of our lifestyle. So, you know, got my first car right around my 16th birthday, um, started customizing and modifying it. Do you have your license yet? Uh, I did. I did. My parents... <laughs> made the rule that I had to have my license before I could get a car. They were a little more lenient with Evan. Yeah, I got <laughs> mine when I had when I had my permit. But so so just to kind of frame it a little bit, so I'm three years younger than Rick. Right. So I was thirteen and then I remember going to that movie and it was like hype train and it was like everyone it seemed I don't know, maybe it was just our group of friends, but like everyone we knew was like into cars from that moment on. hundred like percent. It was just the yeah. cool thing to do. And then you got your first car, which was an Acura Integra, and we used to, I used to help him, and I didn't know what I was, we didn't know what we were doing at that time, but taking stuff apart, putting it back together. Um, and to me, I think that's probably a big reason why I wanted to go into engineering school anyways. Yeah, yeah. same here. I mean, without a doubt. I wanted to understand how cars worked more so than just like bolting on performance parts. Like I wanted to understand the nuts and bolts on how things really came together to build this car you know and and the other thing that happened right around that time so when rick 16 through 18 and me was a little bit younger is we started realizing that um to find the best deals you had to scour the internet for parts so what we would do is we'd scour craigslist we'd scour the auto forums and sometimes we'd buy parts that we didn't even need. This was back when you were 16. Yeah, even younger than that. I mean, when Rick was 16, 17, 18, he's building his car. And then, you know, you're, you're like, oh, well, what's going to be the next mod? Okay, I'm going to get an exhaust system. Well, where can I get this? And there's, there was, you know, all these different places to get it. And then I guess for some reason we had this kind of uh, intuition. I don't know what it was. It was like, hey, well... You know, what if instead of just buying an exhaust system from Joe Schmo, who's selling his exhaust, he's also got wheels for sale. So let's make a package deal and let's buy all these parts from him at a discount. We'll take what we need and then we'll sell the rest. And it, I, I think it really came from the fact that we were high school kids trying to modify our cars and keep up with guys that had, you know, full time jobs, careers, you know. So we're we're trying to figure out ways that we can afford to do this. And it, I mean, modifying your car can be a very expensive hobby. So you're kind of pooling your resources together and all the people that wanted it. So, so you could get, yeah, it. I mean, we, we, we would find deals, right? We would say this guy's got, you know, four or five parts for sale. So we'd buy the whole parts lot. We'd get a better deal on everything and then we'd resell it. So your garage, like your parents' loaded. garage was just loaded. Packed. I mean, they it's still have parts yeah. there. Yeah. They still have parts there now. Every time I come home, they tell me, Hey, you know, what are we going to do with this? Can we throw it out now? I'm like, all right, it's time to go. But I mean, that's how we survived in high school. You know, I, I, my first job was a pizza cook and I made five fifteen an hour. And I remember, you know, going to high school and then working as many hours as I could. I'm talking every single day after class and mm -hmm. then opening up on Saturday and Sunday and I would make like $85. Right. And then, like, you look at, like, one performance part, like an intake or something, is 250 bucks. So I was like, all right, well, I got to come up with some way to do this. Um, and when I was that age, and same with Rick, we, we spent every dollar we had on our project car. Yeah. I mean, for me, the, the flipping side of the business, like, really grew some legs when I realized I could make some money with it. So, you know, my first car I bought for, like, 4500 bucks, And uh, I put you know, bunch of mods on it, bunch of performance stuff. And then I, uh, I ended up selling the car for $6,200. Wow. And that really opened my eyes. I'm like, man, like 
there's actually not only is there money in the parts side of this thing, but I can also make money building a car, having fun with the project, and then selling it and upgrading to a new car. So once we kind of Rick started doing that, we we would start looking for cars to buy. So we bought a, a Civic on eBay for like seven hundred dollars. Yeah. We learned how to paint. We you learned, bought a car on eBay. Bought a car mm-hmm. on eBay at the time. This was, was that way sketchy. Back. back then it was. It, yeah. it was not really any security systems or anything. Yeah. Um, we bought a car on eBay. We learned how to paint. We learned how to install new parts that we'd never done before. And I think we sold it back on eBay for twenty five hundred. So like mm-hmm. we took, you know, the thousand bucks or, or two thousand dollars profit, we split it um, and then we put that into our own cars. And then we started looking for the next parts lot or car to buy. When yeah. you sell a car on eBay, how does that do they just does a truck come and just drop it off or when you buy one or yeah. when you sell one? When you buy one. Uh, typically, you go and pick it up. Okay. But you can you can there's all these transport companies that will right. pick up the car for you. But back then it was the the Internet was and I don't want to sound cliche, but the Internet, especially around car parts, was like the Wild West. Mm-hmm. You didn't know if you were ever going to actually get the part. I mean, we used to be we were really into the Honda scene. We used to frequent this forum called Honda Tech all the time. Honda Tech, you had no idea if you were going to get scammed. The part was ever going to arrive. And if it did, it was like the best thing ever because you got it for like a third of the price of what it would have been been mm-hmm. to buy it new. So, um, yeah, I mean, we would we would go as far as buying stuff on the forums, find some find some deals on like one form or Rochester specific one and then relist the stuff on Honda Tech just to make, you know, make a buck so we could buy the parts for our cars. Yeah. So just to put it into perspective, maybe if a few some people who are listening are not as familiar Um, essentially there's all these different community forums where car enthusiasts gather where they get technical information and each one of these forums or communities has their own their own classified section so for any given make and model there may be 10 15 25 forums that are just for that car so a honda civic you have 20 different locations so um, this is kind of the inception of throttle was is rick and i were going on all these forums every day and you're sitting there and you're trying to go through 20 different classifieds trying to find what you want or you're trying to manage your listings across 20 different platforms they're all dated they're all pretty junky it's hard to manage them and you know fast forward many years later um at my bachelor party actually uh rick kind of came up with this idea with our other uh, technical co-founder and he said hey can we just build something that makes our lives a lot easier so that we can find the next deal and sell our parts faster, easier, cheaper, etc. So you've always been entrepreneurs in the sense that you're Without buying cars, fixing them up, flipping them. Yeah, I mean, before that, we started our first business selling frogs. Mm-hmm. Selling so, frogs? Yeah. yeah. We would catch frogs, and uh, one of our grandfather's friends, I mean, I kind of attribute our entrepreneurism to him because he, uh, he told us, he knew that we liked to catch frogs. He's like, I'll buy those frogs off you, a dollar a frog. And he put them in his pond. So for us, that was really kind of a start of it. I loved catching frogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I try to catch them now, though. They're so much faster now. I think they've gotten faster over the years. Yeah. And and you know what was cool about that was it was kind of like eye-opening that, hey, we can do what we want to do, and we're going to do anyways, and we can figure out a way to make a little cash doing it. And we were probably like, I don't know, 10 and 7 years old. So like we were were young. Wow. And uh, yeah, we started another business with our cousins when we were probably like- What was that? uh, We were- uh, creating like those string necklaces and bracelets. Oh, like the Hawaiian ones. Uh, you know how you used to be able to like tie those knots and it made it look cool almost at like the boon- end? maybe boondoggle, boondoggle kind a, of stuff. We did a, a candy business. We would we would ride our bikes to like um, a Seven Eleven or a grocery store or some like mm-hmm. wholesale whatever, and we'd buy like big things of candy. Maybe it was like a BJ's or a Sam's Club type right. thing. And then we would sell them out of our front lawn, yeah. <laughs> which was, in hindsight, seemed very sketchy that our, <laughs> that our parents, parents led us cool just selling yeah. candy out of the front lawn to strangers. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we've kind of always been, like, looking for opportunities to to make something out of nothing or just to create something that we can sell or, or make a profit on, I guess. Mm-hmm. So one thing that is definitely a, a theme of today's society is college uh, sometimes isn't as much value as it used to be. And a lot of people I know say that they didn't get a lot of value from college or that, you know, it was a great party or whatnot, but 
Mike, I'm curious, did you guys learn a lot in school? Did school help you a lot, like, to kind of prepare you for this, would you say? I I wouldn't say that, like, getting an engineering degree has really prepared us for this. I'd say that, well, at least uh, speaking for myself here, um, the way of thinking, I think, was was important, and the, the time management skills that you learn and that sort of thing was very important. So for me, being an engineering student, I had four or five classes, and each of those classes had you know five, six hours worth of work that you had to do between classes. So it was a huge, huge test of time management skills to try to fit all of that in. And I think that that's a lot like running a business in a lot of ways, in that there is so much more to do than you really have time for, and you learn how to prioritize what's most important you know you're gonna you're gonna make the deadline on this but it's okay if the deadline slips a little bit on this one and it was the same kind of thing i think that that was an important piece that i learned as far as like actually what i learned in vibrations class i don't use any of that right you know yeah i i I tend to agree with rick actually on a lot of that i think college for me more or less kind of provided the mindset of how much work and how much time you need to put into something um, I mean, we, I remember in engineering school, we'd leave a test and you'd, you'd have a two and a half hour test with two questions in it and you'd get a 25% on the test and you, it would like kick you down and you'd be like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to drop out of engineering school. I can't, I don't get this at all. And then you realize that a 25% was actually a B on the class because that's how curved it was. And I guess the, the end result out of that, or what the point I'm trying to make is that you kind of get kicked down a lot, but you know, working with others and, and, and having that kind of structure of, okay, well, you didn't do well on this, but here's a project that you're going to, like, they kind of set it up. So like, okay, well now you don't understand that concept. So let's figure that out. Let's learn that. So it's, it's not necessarily the specific, um, mechanics of, yes, I need to know fluid dynamics working for throttle, but it's like, Hey, I have no idea how to do something. Let's figure it out. And these are the steps that I'm going to take, or at least here's the the structure that you can take forth uh, to find the answer to something. So when when people ask me, oh, well, you know, do you know the answer to this? If it's a complex thing or if it's about throttle, it doesn't matter. You know, a lot of times I'll be like, no, I don't know, but I will damn sure I'm going to find out how to figure that out and how to figure out a structure that makes that repeatable or more efficient or uh, more profitable or um, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if that answered the question or if that was kind of a runaround answer, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more of a way of thinking that you learn going through school for engineering than less, less focus on like, you know, the linear algebra and that kind of stuff. I feel like I I hear a lot of people that went to school for just straight business. They Mm -hmm. didn't get as much value out of it versus, you know, when you start a business is when you really learn all those, those steps. Uh, a question, if there was a certain college courses that you wish you could have taken, like figuratively or hypothetically, which courses did you wish you could have learned in college that would have geared you up for, for now? For me, I think there's a big gap in, you know, and it, maybe it was just in my school. I wish there was some more entre- entrepreneur type classes that I could have taken. And, and to be honest, maybe there was that I wasn't enrolled in or whatever. Um, but like even simple things like tax information and how to hire people, um, you know, how to interview people or how to be interviewed. Um, I think there's a huge gap in, you know, when you graduate college, you're on your own, right? You know, sometimes the college helps you maybe with alumni or whatever, but if you want to go get a job or if you want to start a business, it's up to you to figure it out. So to me, I think that, that there could be a better job of preparing people for kind of the real world type questions. Even even as simple as how do you find a place to rent and what you know what does that mean how to pay your bills like those types of things the more organized you are and kind of set up you know I I spent thousands of dollars where I probably didn't have to and and now you know especially when you're starting a business cash is king and preserving cash and making sure you have enough money to survive because it's not flowing in right immediately off the gate the cash does not just you can't just set up a business and expect it to just cash just to be flowing in. So you got to be frugal and you got to be calculated with, with how you're spending your money. So those are the types of things that I wish college had prepared us more for. Oh man, all the administrative stuff that I do, uh, for the business, I had to kind of figure out on my own. Like I didn't know about cap table tables. 
I didn't know about equity distribution. I didn't know about accounting principles and accrual versus cash basis and all of the back office business stuff. I never got a taste of that in school. And, you know, I think that the engineering curriculum was just so brutal that there was really no time for it. So, you know, figuring out a way to balance a curriculum better and get some of that, that basis, that bare bones stuff that you really need when starting a business, that would have been huge and tremendously helpful. I mean, I think back to uh, before we even started Throttle and when I was working in corporate for a Fortune 50 company and I got in there and I had to learn so much stuff. That was right after college? That was right after college, yeah. Um, I had to learn so much stuff. I mean, I had a team of people working for me. I didn't know how to run a team. Like, I didn't learn the skills for that. All of these things that Evan even mentioned, you know, same kind of thing. Um, that was a huge challenge because they really don't prepare you for that piece of, of the work. So, uh, so after workforce. school, though, you guys basically, where was your mindset at after school? Were you like, I'm going to go be an entrepreneur and start a business? Or do you say, I want to go get a safe job and see what happens? Like, where were you at? For me, I, I went down the, the ladder. So I was like, all right, I just got this engineering degree. I want to get a good engineering job. I want to make money. Um, and to be honest, I think that was a very, very valuable part of, of my journey so far. Because working for a company that's already successful can give you tips and tricks of, what to do and what not to do when you start your own business. So I think, you know, throughout that time between graduating college to now, you know, we were still buying cars. We were still flipping parts and all that. And I've taken a lot of stuff that I've learned. I've worked for a couple of Japanese companies that are very regimented and, and strict. I've taken a lot of stuff that I've learned and tried to implement those at Throttle. And if I didn't have that experience, that structure, you know, that corporate background, um, you know, it might not be that way. So, yeah, I, I appreciate everything that I've learned in the companies that I've worked for. Um, and I, I actually highly recommend working for a company, whether it's in the same field or a different field, um, working for something that is working so you can kind of learn, learn from them. And you took a similar path? Yeah, I did. I mean, I took I moved to San Diego knowing no one, not having a job right lined up, nothing. Yeah, I knew that I wanted to live out here. The focus for moving out here was well, the car scene. Just OK. It was, it was, I mean, really the most important thing to me was being, a pl being in a place where I could drive my car year round. And also just the fact that this, you know, Southern California is really the hub of where everything happens with cars. So came out here, realized that if I wanted to play, I had to have a job. So I, uh, I got a job in engineering and, you know, it was, it was great, but it wasn't really where my passion was. Um, so while I was working for corporate, I, uh, I had several projects going on the side. I always have, um, we, even in college, I was parting cars out of my garage. So out here in California, I learned, uh, that the Porsche market was heating up and, uh, I got pretty heavy involved in that, uh, pretty much right when I got out here and I was doing four to five 911 projects a year so i'd buy these cars uh that needed work or had like some weird faults you know i, I remember i bought a porsche uh a 1966 porsche 911 and someone put this ugly body kit on it and uh it had some cracks in the fiberglass and stuff and i paid 4500 dollars for the car um you know put a little bit of work into it and i ended up selling it for twenty three thousand. Wow. and this became like a very crucial piece of like what kept me sane while working in corporate because I had this on the side always. I was constantly doing cars. So, you know, four or five cars a year supplemented my income, but I also got to have that creative outlet where I could, you know, build cars, drive them around for a while and then sell them. So Throttle came from a bachelor party. Throttle came out of a necessity for something that we were already doing. And essentially what happened was is when Rick proposed that idea and I was like, dude, this is really cool. Let's see if we can make it. So we talked to Errol. What was that idea? The idea was let's build a tool where all car enthusiasts can go that would scour the internet of all these different websites and put them in one place. 
So you would type in whatever civic exhaust and it would go to all the community forums and it would show you all the listings for all civic, civic exhaust across 2030 website. Excuse me. So, you know, carry that along a couple months later, it was 200 auto forums. So we started sharing it with people. And then the feedback we got was, hey, this is pretty awesome. Hey, can you guys add this? Can you guys do this feature? Can you do this a little bit different? And we kept sharing it with our car friends. And car people are very passionate people. So, you know, some people more vocal than others. But um, it started organically growing. And it organically morphed into a better tool. And then we started getting more resources involved. Um, And we launched it at at an event, right? We Mm -hmm. launched it at an event. and the feedback was awesome. Like, hey, you guys, even more feedback. You are, guys- are car people very accepting? Are they very, or were they kind of like, yo, dude, this is not going to work, bro. Like, save your time. Are they like a, what type of people is a car people? I, I would say uh, car people are, are definitely interested in uh, supporting people. I think it's a very supportive group, like support the car community, you know, all car enthusiasts kind of unite. Um, That's great. But they also are very critical. So, you know, they get behind something if it's a good idea, but they also aren't going to be there when if the if the product doesn't work right, they're not going to stick around. Mm -hmm. So when you were sharing it with friends, were you just going to like your buddies type stuff? Yeah, pretty much. You know, small social media like at that time, there you know, social media. Our social social media was pretty small, but it would be like posting. like, Hey, you guys want to check out throttle? It's free to sign up. Go on there. Give us your feedback. And essentially, we started getting a lot of feedback. Um, and at that point, I think uh, kind of collectively, Rick, myself, and Errol, the other the technical co-founder, we pretty much sat down and we had some advisors as well at the time. Um, and they're like, I think you guys, we, we're on to something. This could be a real thing. Um, there seems to be a demand. Um, so let's build it. And we did. And we catapulted uh, through some pretty unique social media tricks um, that I developed through Instagram, um, from zero to what, what would you say? 50,000 registered members. Yeah. Within what, four months or so. Tell me about those tricks. I can't give you all the secrets. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, essentially, um, leveraging influencers, leveraging influencers on Instagram, um, to promote our, uh, software or, or website, um, as organic as possible, um, and and posting viral content was really the key to growing our Instagram. And we would make a post, um, and we'd blast it out to the car community via Instagram for a pretty cost-effective way, and we would get 1,000, 2,000 signups a day. So you would just contact these influencers and say, look, I have this. Like, What was your pitch to those people? I'll pay you. Right. I'll pay you to make this post at this exact time, three, five times a week, three times a week. And we were, and you know, this is not like, oh, we make one post and it's done. We had 10 people running, you know, five ads, three ads a day or whatever it was. Um, sometimes the same ad, sometimes different ad. You know, we, we do a lot of A-B testing and splitting, but, um, you know, blasting it out there. And it it was really used to just jumpstart the momentum, right? Starting, starting a business, the the most common problem that I've seen with other entrepreneurs is they start a business, they create this thing, and then they just expect people to come and it does not work that way at all. So, I mean, what, what we realized very quickly was we built this software product, right? In order to continue to expand upon it and make it better, we needed feedback. We needed users. So we needed to jumpstart that. So with this technique, we were able to jumpstart it and really um, that coupled with just organic growth and kind of the, the network effect, right? People sharing this. If they were selling parts on the classifieds platform that we built, they wanted to share the listing with their friends. And that may get to 10 people on their social media, right? So it was kind of like a network effect plus the fact that we jumpstarted this thing and, and got all these people in there that really accelerated our growth really quickly you mentioned having this launch event was that launch event that was the moment when you were like we really have something that was the moment we turned the website on at that point there were zero people five people on the website like there was no registered users then we 
you know, we took that response and the response was really good from the people that were there locally. Um, and we said, all right, let's start investing some money. Let's start investing some time. Let's see if we blast this to a million people, how many people are going to sign up? And that's what we did. And we continued to do that. Um, and like Rick said, it started to get its own traction. It started to grow. But as Rick also mentioned, if you don't engage with the people, you don't keep pushing it out there, the people go away. So we, I think originally the misconception that we both had was you build it and then people were just going to join in and it was just going to be this flourishing thing like Craigslist or eBay and, oh, we're going to be, you know, happy campers. But in reality, it's a grind and it's, it's hard. Right. You're right. It's, it's incredible how you guys got there. How did you get from, did you say 50,000 users? Um, where did that, how did you go from there to now? So the, the growth continued. Um, we did some things to even accelerate that even further, like releasing a mobile app. Uh, that was huge for us. Um, and very soon we had, you know, 150,000 people using this platform every single month. And, uh, we weren't selling them anything. We had built this platform. We were providing essentially a free tool. Um, so for us, the, the real, I'd say the biggest pivot for, our, well, we had two major pivots, but I'd say the biggest pivot for us was realizing that all these people that were visiting our platform were there because they were interested in buying something, buying car parts, and we weren't providing that. We were providing a platform, a service that allowed them to buy from other car enthusiasts but we were getting people coming to us and say, hey, can you get me this? Can you get me this exhaust? Can you do this? Can you, you know, so for us, that was a huge, huge thing. And we realized that what was missing in our business model was a true uh, platform for car enthusiasts to buy performance parts. And you guys were skilled at this since the day, since you're- We've been buying them for 15, 16 years. Um, so yeah, and you know, it at that point when we kind of we sat down and we're like all right well we have all these people they're here we're not making any money we have to survive as well um but there there's you know messages coming in we have like a live chat or a message thing all these messages coming in hey can you guys get me these exhausts these things these parts whatever we're like all right well let's reach out to distributors big distributors and most of them were like well you guys don't have a shop you guys aren't a business you're just an online website so it was an uphill battle. It wasn't really until we got in front of people at SEMA. SEMA is the aftermarket trade organization for, for aftermarket car parts where we're showing people, hey, look, look at the growth. Look at the social media. We can sell parts. Give us an opportunity. And uh, we got one distributor to bite and to approve us. We're the first uh, uh, approved vendor that didn't have a space. We were no, There was no brick and mortar facility at the time just an e-commerce business. Um, and uh, we crushed it. We crushed it for them. And uh, now we have multiple distributors. That was the uh, biggest moment for you to prove yourself? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. We we tried to get distributors to jump on board with this idea and they just could not wrap their head around it. Like, well, you guys are a classified, so how are you gonna sell new parts? You're not structured for selling new parts. And we're like, look at all these people that are wanting to buy new parts from us give us an opportunity, give us a chance. And, and, uh, one guy did and yeah, the rest is kind of history at that point. So, yeah. So kind of just, I guess, fast forwarding or, or moving forward past that one pivotal, pivotal point. Um, we learned that we could use social media to drive car part sales. And recently, probably past six months, that's been a big focus of ours. We've doubled down on content creation, doubled down on social media, uh, leveraging influencers, working with influencers, partnering with other people and companies. Um, and the, the end goal is to provide the car enthusiast community with a cheaper place to buy parts and one place to buy parts, not 50 different locations, one spot, and that's throttle. Yeah, I think uh, one thing to note is your social media presence is incredible. And you guys essentially have a TV show, Throttle TV, <laughs> I think. You but it's kind of, yeah. every single day you guys are putting out videos, right? Pretty I, much. I checked uh, four to six times a week. I yeah. checked recently, you now have 180,000 YouTube subscribers. Yep. I remember just, I think it was just last year, I think you were at like 20. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, 
about a year and a half ago we had zero wow yeah and uh tell me about where that kind of uh, like who first kind of inspired you to start youtube for me uh it was tj so what i learned from him is not just oh you can make a cool video and that's it it's about being consistent consistency is key um uploading consistently good quality content engaging with other people and other influencers working with other people not just doing it in your own little hermit shell that's that's what i learned um and even when you don't want to post and even when you know your videos are not good so our first 75 videos you can go back and look they're all on youtube they're trash there's really really bad really awkward <laughs> edited horribly and i'm hoping that in a year from now i'm going to say that about our videos right now because every time i make a video i try to make it better and better than the previous ones um but it's it's a grind i mean the first like i said 75 videos are are really bad but you got to just keep going i remember stash for subs stash for subs was a cool thing and and you know that's one thing actually i want to i want to try to try to share an experience with this because sometimes to catapult at least this is my experience catapult social media you have to do a an action and actually Ian, i've seen you do certain things like that too with like the stairmaster challenge and things like that it's you have to create a you have to create an environment or, or an action that will require engagement. So I grew a mustache and I said, if you guys want me to shave this mustache and get rid of it, cause it was hideous. My wife hated it. If you guys want me to shave this, you have to subscribe to our channel and get us to 5,000 subscribers. And I got a lot of flack for it. I mean, I look silly in about, I don't know how many videos, 30, 40 videos or whatever, but there was motivation for people to subscribe. And then at some, it, at some point, maybe we were at 4,000 subscribers, I started to get seeing messages, well, I'm not going to subscribe because I'd like the mustache now, or I'm going to unsubscribe because I like the mustache now. <laughs> so that was kind of a pain in the butt. But I guess what I'm, uh, the point I'm trying to get across is you got to do something. You got to do something that will engage with people so that they'll want to follow whatever you're doing. So it's a slow start with social media in, the, in specific YouTube. Um, yeah, it, it took you a while to get to 5,000, yes. but I believe you guys came like a hundred K in the, just in mm -hmm. the past month or so. And it's kind of the same type of thing. So an event happened, um, uh, uh, Mickey bought a new car. He bought a new car and he bought it when he was with TJ and TJ kind of, um, helped set the stage for this amazing car build that Mickey's going to put together. So if you don't know Mickey, Mickey puts together amazing car projects. He's very, very uh, skilled uh, in a lot of different things. And, you know, the way that the interaction between TJ and Mickey happened on TJ's channel suggested that people would come to our channel if they want to follow the build. And that, and, and, and since that happened like that, we started pumping out a ton of content and people are loving it because Mickey's doing a good job and we try to engage them. So um, we could have just had that one video and then never made another video about it and we would have missed that entire opportunity to grow. So I guess what I'm trying to get across uh, is specific actions or events will drive growth. So what does a daily like what does a daily operations look like for you? Because when I think about you know maybe just because you know I'm doing multiple things and the people listening are probably have tons of stuff going on. Everyone's busy, right? To be able to film a video that has good content every single day consistently, how do you get into the rhythm and what does that daily operation look like? It's a little bit more calculated than I think meets meets the eye. So. Um, I've done a lot of research and, and what's cool about YouTube is everything's public, right? So you can go on there and you can look at all the people who are doing a great job on YouTube and are growing and are huge and you can analyze the, the videos that they put out and you'll get a list. I have a list of 40, 50 videos that are like the top videos from all the creators across YouTube and I've tried to recreate as many of those as I can. At the same time, kind of throughout the past year and a half, you've learned I've learned what modifications and what projects work better than others. So some of the ones that are not as exciting, maybe you skip that or you don't film it. 
and you focus on the ones that do. So focus on the stuff that works. Don't really focus on the stuff that doesn't work um, and keep making it because every video you put up is an opportunity that it could go crazy, go viral or viral-esque. I mean, the definition of viral, I think, is a little loosely defined, but yeah. I was talking to Nick Drosos. Um, He's a defense coach. He's got 380,000 subs right now. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that one of his worst videos that he shot on his iPhone ended up getting 50 million views. Yep, that's exactly the same thing that happened. Our number one video has 1.2 million views, and uh, I shot it on my iPhone. That's incredible. And you know what's what's crazy is, and this is what I always hammer home to uh, to Evan and and really the team that's making the YouTube videos is that uh, the videos are great, but if you don't have a firm call to action in the video, uh, we find that. Uh, it doesn't result in what you'd expect, right? You could have a viral video that does 1.2 million views or, you know, even 5 million views, whatever it may be. But if there's no call to action in the video to, to subscribe or to download the throttle app or whatever it may be, then you get very little uh, action out of what you just created. So something that we really try to balance is the fact that um, our videos are, are really tied to a call to action. Um, and it's been something that we've been working on quite a bit, um, is that each, each one of the videos has a specific action that we're really trying to drive, um, whether it be brand awareness, whether it be, you know, learning more about our VIP program. Um, that's, that's been a critical piece I'd say in the business growth. So less so on the YouTube side, more so on like the growth of throttle as a, as a business entity. I think something I've noticed from the sidelines is it seems it's very crucial to have a group of people all leveraging each other to build kind of the same mission. Like I see, you know, you're with TJ, Dustin's another name that comes into mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. Um, you're basically all building together. What could you say about leveraging a, a group kind of that's on I that think it, it definitely helps uh, it helps for a couple of reasons but it isn't the end all there is a ton of people who are doing being very successful um, on social media or whatever uh, on their own so yes it, it helps it helps me a lot because I'm learning from them a lot um, but you can create that anywhere I mean we can you can find people in your local area who are into the same thing and go hang out with them or find another creator who's maybe about the same size as you or who's even bigger than you and and get a hold of people so i guess what i'm what i'm saying is if that's what you want you want to be a part of a group go create it you guys got a strong group always learning always moving it's uh it's definitely definitely a challenge it's fun it's great um but there's uh there's some challenging moments for sure what are like what do you think after at this point in your in your throttle experience um what do you think is your biggest accomplishment like what are you most stoked about what you guys have done like what 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 just makes you feel proud of yourself for me it's it's crazy to go to a car show or get a message from people who said like you just saved me so much money so much time here's my car, here's my throttle sticker, like people that are so supportive for me, this environment that we've created, like, you know, taking a step back and like, you see people rocking a throttle windshield banner before us, there was no throttle. There was nothing. So that's for me, the most rewarding thing, like me meeting people at car shows. They're like, I watch every single video and I'm like, dang, I, if it, I, I might not even watch every, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but you know, the diehard people that we have, um, you know, cultivated, created, you know, inspired, you know, I get messages from people that it's just amazing and blows you away. People have never touched a car before they watch our videos and they're like, I just completed that project. I followed your tutorial step-by-step. You helped me so much. Thank you so much. Like that to me is the most rewarding thing. Yeah. I'd say for me, it's, it's getting the feedback about, you know, how, how our tools, how what we're building is making a difference in their in their daily lives. So we have these these repeat customers that you know signed up for VIP and they're using Throttle's uh, build support service to get suggestions on you know what they what they should do to their car. 
And then throughout the entire process of building their car, they're they're really filling us in, keeping us in the loop on their project and how it's how it's coming forward and how it's really becoming uh, becoming the car of their dreams. And that's a piece that's really, really rewarding to me is like seeing that that what we've built is really making a fundamental difference in the lives of car enthusiasts. On the flip side, what's something you wish you would have known when starting your business that you know now? That's a good question. I think the biggest thing um, is that you get what you put into it. So the amount of work, the amount of time that you put in is what you get out of the business. You know, there's been... 25 times where or more probably where it's been very hard very hard um you know financially it's been hard socially i guess if you could say it but you keep grinding and you keep persisting and you start to get some wins and you start to you know and and those little wins are the ones you hold on to and it's almost like you kind of forget about all the hard times and and all the hard decisions that you have to make um so yeah i mean i think Putting in the work um, is something that it's easy to say and it's easy to hear. You know, when you tell people you're starting a business, they they say, oh, well, it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be harder than you think. And you're kind of like, nah, I got this. And then when you're in the midst of it and you're like, holy crap, I might hang up my shirt. You know, I'm, I'm, this is going to be really hard. And then you sit back and you're like, collectively, like, let's do this. We can do it. Um, yeah. So you almost wish you knew how much work it would really be. Yeah. Whether or not that would have changed you know how things happen i don't know yeah i'm thinking more like business mistakes i think i mean look nothing's a mistake you learn from everything that happens when you're starting your business um i would say that we should have come to market sooner with an offering that would basically make money i mean i think besides the making money aspect of things it would have made the story a lot clearer from the beginning um so what I'm referring to here is the fact that we offered this free classifieds platform and we really didn't, from a business perspective, focus enough on how it was going to make money. It was like, well, there was, I, I it guess was an even, MVP. It was. it was, it was, but I guess even backtracking even further, I'd say that we, um, we got really wrapped up in the whole idea of a startup, right? Like put you know, put a hundred thousand people, 200,000 people, 300,000 people on a platform, and then you're going to be able to raise money and you're going to be able to grow this thing. Um, I don't think that we focused enough in the beginning on how it's really going to become a business, right? If we had focused on that from the start, we'd be monetizing from the start and it would have been a very different experience going forward. Um, that said, like like I said before, you know, you learn from everything. And I think going about it this way and 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 this approach, um, I don't think that it hurt the long-term business in any way. It just would have made some short-term things in the beginning a lot easier. I hear the word monetization. I don't really know. I don't think many people know really like how much monetization can happen with platforms like YouTube independent on subs could you you don't have to go deep into it but can you kind of share like yeah so i mean there's there's definitely a couple different ways to monetize off of youtube the i think the idea that most people have is oh youtube will pay you ad money and at the end of the day it doesn't pay the bills it's not a lot so just to put it into perspective for every million views you'll make anywhere from a thousand to two thousand dollars say something like that so a million views so it's not a lot of money. Wow. But you can make one video today that gets a million views and that's a thousand dollars. Maybe a little bit more depending on the duration, but it's, you know, a million views is a lot of views. Like yeah. That's a lot of views. So the AdSense money that comes from Google, you don't, I mean, I, you don't really count. Like it's not anything serious. Right. What we've been able to do is utilize the YouTube views to as Rick said, have a call to action to, hey, join VIP or, hey, we're selling car parts on discount, um, you know, buy an exhaust system today and save you 50 bucks with a promo code. So using social media to drive sales that way, that's that's our business. That's like that's how we do it. Awesome. What uh, what's the first mods you would do to any car like the, the needs? You get a car. It's a piece of crap. What's the first things you're doing? Uh, 
number one, I think suspension is really important. Uh, doing an exhaust system. Those two things are, are huge for me. Um, I cannot stand driving around in a car that's at factory ride height because the wheel gaps are like, you know, five inch wheel gaps. It looks like a monster truck. Um, so suspension is always on my list as like number one. I, I mean, I agree with that. Intake exhaust, uh, maybe a header, some, you know, some light power mods, or even with a lot of newer cars, if you tune them, you get a tuning software or something that makes a huge difference. Suspension, good set of tires is very, very important. So, but it's a slippery slope because I say that and almost every car that I've owned and you've owned, Rick, has more or less turned into a full build, which is usually what car guys try to avoid. And then you have a five-year project or whatever it is, but um, you can't just stop. So once you start with suspension and exhaust, then it turns into, hey, let's pull the motor out. Let's do a full motor build and let's do a turbo kit. <laughs> let's yeah. do air suspension. So it's a oh, very yeah. slippery slope. You just go down the whole thing because oh, yeah. everything probably needs everything else yeah. to work in unison. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, if I got an exhaust, I can make another 20 horsepower if I get this or this supporting modification. Can you check so. that through the, the reader? Through the tuner? No, no, you don't. How do you measure to. horsepower? Uh, there, it's a dyno, typically. If you want to get a physical, like actual check of horsepower and torque, right? Readings. Yeah, right. So when I mod a car, because I don't know anything about modding cars whatsoever, I think the most two essential things are tint. You got to tint your car right away, <laughs> and subwoofers. Ah, okay. You need subs and tint. Audio yep. guy. Absolutely. Maybe the blue LED is under the car, right? There you go. <laughs> well, nice. some, in some states, they don't have the sun, so tint is not as important. But out here, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, my yeah. car, the, the East Coast cars are always just like beat to, beat to crap with all mm-hmm. the salt and stuff. I actually, I ended up selling my car. Well, I gave it to my brother, essentially. But they, I went in for some work, and they said this car is just busted because of all the salt. <laughs> uh-huh. Is it nice being in... in in just san diego and california not to worry about that no rust no rust that is a huge huge thing and it what's crazy too is the cars per, hold their value a lot more out here yeah you go back onto the east coast all the cars are rusty um they're worth like nothing what is so. it like working with your brother like do you guys fight a lot How i mean time I, we have i can't i can't imagine working with my brother i feel like i would just we would kill each other uh, i'll answer that first um it's uh it's great and it's also very challenging. Um, I think we do banter and bicker a bit, um, but the end result is that I can 100% trust him. So for like being business partners, there's 100% trust that he's going to look out for the business, and I think he feels the same way, hopefully. Um, so there's like the throughout all the bickering or whatever, we want the best for the business. So we always come through working together and actually i think probably in the last nine months it's been a lot smoother sailing um i think it's important to have a you know, clear set of responsibilities but um yeah i mean i think that's the biggest thing is the trust is is a huge thing and yes we do bicker but we're still brothers and we're still you know partners so yeah i'd say uh for me it's it, it's a double-edged sword like evan said i mean i think that uh having having someone that you can trust as like you know your sidekick in this thing is so important a lot of people can get that outside of family um i think that's that's fully doable the difference is that growing up with evan i know his weaknesses and his strengths probably better than anyone right and he knows mine so what's kind of happened with the business is that you know, Evan is really focused on the things that he's super strong at and me the same. So what it, it's kind of like things just automatically delegated themselves in the beginning. When we first started, when Evan mentioned, like we used to butt heads and that kind of thing, that was really because we were both trying to take on the same responsibilities and we have completely different ways of doing things and completely different strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd say that uh, if you are going to work with family, without a doubt, lay some ground rules, lay some roles and responsibilities in the beginning based on the fact that you know your sibling's strengths and weaknesses and really lay that out early. Um, that's the only thing I can say negative about working with my brother. On the positive side, it's, uh, I mean, it's amazing. Like, he's my best friend, right? We grew up together 
and I get to work every single day with him. It's it's incredible. What's the future vision of Throttle? Where do you guys want to take this thing? We taking over. No, <laughs> um, but, but kind of on a serious note, I mean, we are striving to be the number one place where every car enthusiast across the world gets their parts, gets content on a daily basis. Um, we want to be the number one in that space. And we, sh- we should talk about VIP because this yeah. is really like yeah. a fundamental piece of our mission. And this is, I think... A, uh, a theme that's that's come up in our lives since we first got into cars is the fact that uh, customizing and modifying your car can be very expensive. But besides being expensive, it's it's difficult and that you can't necessarily find the right information uh, on the products that you want to add to your car. And you really don't have anyone guiding you through the process. Uh, that's what we think the future of the car enthusiast community is going to be. And uh, we really have focused on that with our Throttle VIP membership. Um, so, so VIP is focused on a few main areas. Number one, getting the support that you need to do your car project, right? I see a lot of people that don't have that build support buying, uh, you know, a, a downpipe and then also buying a catalytic converter. And for those non-car guys, they those two parts... You know, you have to have one or the other. It's not going to work in a lot of different uh, configurations. So having this build concierge, having the one-on-one build support is very important. And I think it's a missing piece right now in the industry. Um, On top of that, uh, VIP provides a discount program for new performance parts. Nothing like this has ever been done before. Think about it across all different industries. Discount clubs exist across the board, right? You got wine discount clubs. You got made mainstream ones like Costco, right? We are doing this for the car enthusiast community. 400 brands, 10 to 40% off of retail pricing if you sign up for a $10 a month membership. So that's a huge piece of it as well. On top of that, we're bringing a sense of community back to car enthusiasts that I think has been lost since forums have started to kind of die out. Um, you know, whether it be interacting on our YouTube videos or the future throttle uh, platform, which isn't quite released yet, um, we think that what's what's really missing is a sense of community uh, across all different car makes and models, really unifying the car enthusiast community. Beautiful. Yeah. Those are the main ones for me with, with VIP. Yeah, How about and we've you? given away two, well, yeah, two cars so far. You're giving away cars. Giving away cars. We've done multiple uh, $5,000 shopping sprees. We've given one. Uh, air suspension. $40,000 or $50,000 in car parts away. Yeah, so. To date. I mean, so that that's, that's also crazy. a very rewarding part. But if you're a VIP, you get automatic entry to these sweepstakes. And when we call these these guys and we're like, hey, so-and-so, you just won five grand. You can buy anything you want. You can literally take your project if it's stock and you can fully deck it out and we're going to pay for everything 100% ship you anything you want. Like they're it's amazing. They're so appreciative. We just had a guy pick up our, our recent project car we gave away and um, Mark, if you're listening to this, he's an awesome dude, so deserving, so um, just appreciative of what we've done for the car community. Um, and that, that's very rewarding for us, but it's also, it's a, it's a cool perk. You get automatic entry to these things and you could be getting a phone call and, and you, maybe you won. So, so just to, to wrap this up, what is the one thing that you would tell someone that's thinking of starting their own business? Maybe they have a full-time job. They're thinking of stepping out. What's your advice to someone that's ready to kind of jump into that? I would say do it, but don't think the payoffs coming easy. Okay. Work hard for what you want, work hard for what you believe in, and uh, good things will come. What I would say, um, I agree with what Rick said, but I would also say is that if you're starting a business, make sure you're solving a problem, and not a problem that maybe you have. You're solving a problem that your customer has. So don't create a problem. Find a problem that's out there that lots of people, if you're trying to make it big, Find a problem that lots of people are having problems with and they're vocally expressing this and solve it and solve it better than anyone else. Amen to that. 
I'm going to have to ask you guys to show me around this garage one last time. Sure. For sure, man. All right. Thank you guys so much for jumping on. I appreciate it. The Throttle guys, as always, keep it real. Watch Thanks, them on man. YouTube. They're phenomenal. And uh, Evan has a really sweet puppy that was probably barking a little bit during this. <laughs> Absolute little gorgeous little guy. So. Well, thank you very much for having us on the, the show, and we wish you all the success. Yeah, we appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, everyone. Peace out. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace.